welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and I'm so happy to have a very special edition of the podcast for you today with NASCAR president, Brent Dewar. Now, Brent Dewar is a native of Vancouver, Canada, who had a more than 30-year career at General Motors before joining NASCAR as its chief operating officer, where he was eventually promoted to president in July. After he was promoted, I was really interested in trying to get him for the podcast because I just felt like, you know, maybe a lot of fans didn't really know much about him, didn't really know who he was yet. You know, obviously Mike Helton's been very visible over the years. People have gotten to know Steve O'Donnell a lot better, but Brent Dewar really hasn't been on people's radars as much, and yet he's been running NASCAR's day-to-day operations. So I figured a podcast would be a great way to do that with him and the social spotlight specifically because he has an active Twitter presence. So I want to say I'm very thankful to Eric Nyquist from the NASCAR Integrated Marketing Communications Department for helping me get this interview, set this up, and especially work in the time on Brent Dewar's schedule on a very busy race day at Darlington. And I really appreciate Brent sitting down to give all of us some insights on not only social media, but his philosophies in general. All right, everybody, I'm here with NASCAR president, Brent Dewar. Brent, how are you? I'm very well. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great. It's a great race day here at Darlington. Now, uh, to prep for this interview, I noticed uh, I went back through your Twitter account, and you've been on Twitter almost as long as I have. I mean, I everybody's like, oh, you've been on Twitter forever, Jeff, it's like 2009. You were on 2009 also. So I was curious what attracted you to want to get on Twitter in the first place way back then when it wasn't as big as it was now. I think it was, I was the, you know, came in the marketing side and the automotives and uh, each of the social media platforms were developing. And I, I liked, I liked Twitter because it was like a, an open email, right? It's, if you think about it in the world of transparency, you know, the, you know, the books are written where the world is flat. And uh, I was intrigued that you had to get a message out in 140 characters or less. And I found that very interesting as a marketer. You know, you grew up with 60-second commercials, then you went to 30s, and I love 15s. If I could have done a seven-second commercial, I would have. So I, I, I like that aspect, and then from that, um, kind of learned the do's and don'ts over time. So you appreciated, even before our society went to sort of this shorter attention span thing, you thought that was something that people would pick up on. You you understood where that was coming from. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's not even so much a, a shorter attention span. That's one factor. There's no question. But I think as a communicator... Uh, the less you say, better and more poignant, uh, because we as humans only retain so much. And so if you really can get it. So I was intrigued by it. Um, I, I don't think I always practice it as well as I'd like to in those 140 characters, but, uh, but that, that's the essence as a, as a marketer. So these days, um, as it's evolved, how much do you use Twitter now and how much value do you place on it um, in the role that you're currently in? So what we do with NASCAR, obviously, we have a huge fan base, and um, they're very active in all social media. And so I, I, you know, I've had uh, accounts through uh, most of the major, and I've really focused on Twitter. Um, and what we ask our team is to, well, what we say is find your voice. And so our voice for competition is Steve O'Donnell. And so we, we want to make sure that you know, he feels comfortable and have the authority to interact on the competition aspects with fans, with the industry, you know, with uh, with with just folks in general uh, across the industry, and so what my role is to play is 
chief operating officer now as president is to find my voice. And I don't want to step on the competition side of the voice. I don't want to step on the marketing and Jill Gregory and chief marketing officer. So I, I use it primarily as an amplification tool to the messaging in the industry. And so I, that's been my role, my focus. Uh, you may get some business uh, aspects from me because I, I do the business of NASCAR. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm a fan. And so I really approach it from a fan's perspective. That's very interesting you say that because my next question was going to be about, I noticed you retweeting a lot. And you go through and retweet various people and it shows up in your feed, obviously. So it sounds like that's a strategic thing where you're taking little pieces from here, little piece from here. And you're saying, hey, you know, I want to make sure that people in the industry are seeing this message. Exactly. And so that's that's one of the big powers of social media is that first message can cascade so much further. So that is a purely a strategic intent. And that's the role that I play. Uh, we teach that to many of our other executives as well, because if you can connect the, the, you know, the chain on a broader basis, uh, the message goes much further. You can, you can be a Dale Jr., have 4 million followers, or you can be a connected part of the industry, and both are very effective in terms of amplifying the message. That's interesting. So even though you don't want to step on, like, say, Steve O'Donnell's toes, there has to be times when you say, Ooh, I really want to say this, or I have an opinion about this, and because you don't want to do that, you probably have to hold off. Are there times when you have to sort of stop yourself from expressing your own opinion? Um, yes and no. I would say my, my lane is never the competition lane, even though I do it in my job. It's not my social media role. And so uh, I would never be intrigued to kind of go on and do that. There are times when uh, when I do want to say something, and it's usually a direct <laughs> direct message to the driver or a direct message to the industry person, and, and it's pretty effective as well. So uh, you and I have tweeted direct messages back and forth to each other. So I, I use that mechanism because at the end of the day, it, it's this is a sport, and when sometimes we people get lost in that. We're a release for a lot of uh, the things that go on in the world, and like all sports, it's entertainment. And uh, I just want to make sure that I'm staying within that and uh, enjoying it at the same time. So um, you're known as somebody that's a very hard worker. You put in a lot of hours. You put pour in your soul, it sounds like, to this job. Um, how does the daily social media grind that's just this constant ongoing thing fit into your role? Like, are you sort of staying up on it? Are, are you able to see everything that's going on, um, you know, that happens on Twitter? It's a challenge, right? We, you know, I think the expression is time poverty, right? We all, we all suffer from it. And uh, so I'm, I'm a believer in technology. Uh, always have been. I've been an early adopter. I think I was one of the first BlackBerry users. Uh, you don't want to know what I paid for my first BlackBerry. It's uh, shocking. But, uh, um, you know, so I think, you know, we use technology to expand the hours in the day. Uh, so I've always been fortunate or unfortunate, depending if you took my mother's point of view, but I never really slept, slept too much, even as a kid. So uh, I'm awake for a, a better part of the 24 hours of the day. And so I use all these different tools and techniques uh, from technology to get us there. Um, and I try to stay current, but I also stay current. I'm a, you know, my, my training and background, although I was on the auto side, is mostly in marketing and communications. And so I try to make sure I'm consuming the sport from a 360 day view. So I'm definitely on, you know, Sirius XM, and I have my time for that in the drive. And the guys know when I'm on, um, because I usually will pull off to the side of the road. I don't text and drive, and I'll I'll send a couple of direct messages to them if if I if I think uh, we need to comment. Um, and and same with TV, same with digital, same with with social media. So they all have their place. I think the day of a single medium 
of consuming your information, those days are gone. We, and, you know, when I grew up as a kid, we had big network broadcast and it was pretty easy to get your news, right? And everybody tuned in at the nightly news, but that's not the case today. It's instantaneous. So you find your mechanism and platform to get your information and to also share your information. So I try to, I try to balance it throughout the day. So even though it sounds like it's, it's really helpful for your job and, and vital in some cases, Social media, I think we've all found, can be uh, a drain at times, negativity. Uh, I'm sure I irritate you at times with my tweets that you're like, oh, come on. And so I guess my question is, why do you choose to be on it despite all that goes on? Because it's it's sort of, uh, it can sort of sap your energy and, and you're, you might be having a day, a good day. You go along and you're like, get on, you're just like, man, there's just so much negativity on there. Why choose to still be on it? So I would say this is the, the marketing researcher in me. So, you know, I've always been intrigued by human behavior and sports is the craziest uh, experience of uh, human behavior. So I think, I think what you have to recognize is that, you know, sports fans are passionate. That's where the word fanatic came from. So when I worked on the, on the you, know, you know, fortune side of the business, um, there's a difference between a really passionate fan who, who bought your car are very different than a sports fan. Sports fans are 365, 24-7. So I think what you have to recognize that there, you know, somebody that calls into a talk radio sports show is a demographic unto themselves. And so usually you have to, you have to manage the filters and understand that it's not absolute, it's directional. The same with social media. You, ha- you can't just read the good clips. You can't, wow, that was fantastic, and ignore the other side. And so what you want to do is filter and capture the passion and not the raw emotion. The emotion can get very negative. And, and, and you just have to, you can't have uh, too thin a skin. You have to really balance points. And you've got to put it through a filter that you're hearing. Everybody has a response. And it's like, you know, if, if I've got a bad back, you really got to get to the symptoms. What's causing the bad back, right? Is it, is it a disc? Is it a weight? Is it, you know, poor posture? What is it? What is it? Don't respond to the, bat, the aching back. Get to the, get to the root cause. And I would say in all of these conditions, when you get to the negative, there's a reason, there's a root cause. And some of it may be just somebody jumping on the bandwagon. But if you can peel back the layers and if you're truly passionate about it, you're, you're going to get to it. And, and that's, that's why how I try to look at it. And uh, when it gets to hate or real negative stuff, and then, then I'll turn you off. I mean, there's no place for that in society. But I think other than that, if it's just raw emotion, it's, it's okay. That's very fascinating. So some people, um, you know, like I, I argue with Jim Utter about this sometimes because he, you know, I'll say, well, everybody on Twitter is saying this. And he goes, well, Twitter's, you know, this echo chamber kind of thing. And it's not representative of society, you know, because only 25% of people say, you know, use Twitter. So, you know, you, you were saying that there's different mediums and, and talk radio is one, Twitter's another. How, how representative of the overall NASCAR opinion fan base do you think is appears on Twitter if that makes sense it's good it's a good question I'm not really I would have to I'd have to think through that a little bit more but I would say it represents the direction you know and I think I think where we tend to get caught up is absolutes versus direction if that makes sense so it's it's directionally correct and absolutely wrong. <laughs> so it kind of sounds funny to say it, but, um, and, and what you'll find is there's, there's a wave, because it's an amplification tool, you know, the core elements of what is being said, positive or negatively, is, is there. And, and some people are just, they're just amplifying. They, they don't even share that opinion. And I learned that also uh, in the early days, back in 09 and 10, is, is 
don't be taken by the sheer volume because in some cases they're just they don't even have that point of view they're just sharing that point of view with someone else saying can you believe what someone else just shared and you have to understand the mediums right you have to you have to get to it and understand it so uh i'll take that assignment on i'll have to have to think that one through sounds good so one thing that um, social media is also good for is getting to know somebody personally. And I know a lot of NASCAR fans may want to know more about you. One thing is you occasionally share pictures of your daughter who seems like from your tweets going back, she's been lifelong NASCAR fan. I mean, she watches it from the time she was probably old enough to know what was going on. Um, how does her fandom shape your view of social media today and NASCAR as a whole today? Um, she's been with me from the beginning, right? So this is my only child and, uh, and so when I was, before I joined NASCAR, I took her to the Daytona 500. It was the year Jamie McMurray won. And uh, it was also the year of the concrete and the big delay in the race. And, uh, and, uh, but, I, but it was really interesting, even at that very young age, probably three at the time, and I saw the race through her eyes, and she had a Jimmy Johnson jacket. And then over the years, you know, we lived in Europe, and she would sit on my lap, and we'd be watching tennis, and she loved Rafael Nadal because he was left-handed, but she loved all the NASCAR races, and sit on my lap, and we'd watch NASCAR from Zurich, Switzerland. And it's gone on and on every year, and it's evolved. And um, she is truly a passionate NASCAR fan, but she's also a great critique. She asks me questions about, Dad, why aren't we doing this? Aren't we doing different things? So... I always remind her she's not working yet for the sanctioning body, but uh, she's she's kind of a valuable input. But what I look at is she's she's not too dissimilar to any of the kids. She's not dissimilar to when I started, right? You know, going to a racetrack with a friend or a family member. That's the that's the that's the essence of NASCAR. That's how it all started. It's family. It's faith. It's patriotism, and we have to rekindle that. And so, you know, I've noticed over these last. She just turned 11 last week, which is a funny story. She asked for her birthday. I said, what would you like to do? And she said, I want to go to Bristol. And she'd been in Michigan the week before. So she's gone uh, Michigan, Bristol, now Darlington, three consecutive weekends. Um, now, she's with her dad, and her dad's working. But, but to see how she's evolved, and I see how the young kids are evolved and what's important to them. The social aspect's important. And so for her, she loves stage racing because there's a break in the action where she can talk to her dad or talk to her friends. Uh, we didn't set out to do stage racing for that reason. We did it because we wanted to not break from gr uh, number one complaint for our fans was breaking from green flag racing for a commercial. And we're one of the few sports that does it. All motorsports does it. And when we worked with NBC and Fox, that we worked on a, on a program. Industry came together to create it. But to see how, as a as a ten year old at the time, she couldn't identify that was an issue, but she sees the benefit as a fan, and that's what we learned with our fans. Uh, don't worry about changing; they'll accept change. What we've learned over time is they don't like talking about change. Study it, get ready, make sure there's a benefit for the fan, and then just do it for the right reasons. So, how do you see this continuing to evolve, um, where you can get more of uh, Olivia's friends to watch and and get them interested? And in it? it's it's interesting that you say that though about getting them hooked at a young age because. Just at the tweet up today at Darlington, I was asking people, so many people had throwback older gear on. I was like, what was your first race? And people are saying, oh, it was when I was eight. It was when I was five. And not very many people there were saying my first race wasn't until I was in my 20s. I mean, people get hooked as a kid. So it's, it seems like Olivia's generation is very important. How do you guys keep continuing that um, and, and building that initiative to get more of that? Yeah, there's no question. It's not just sports or NASCAR. I mean, brand preferences are formed somewhere between seven and 10. I mean, lots of market research and marketers have studied that for a long time. Uh, it could be a precocious six-year-old, but, uh, but generally that forum, they have that understanding of what they value and what they don't. Um, and so from a marketing standpoint, so 
um, it, it's exactly that. And so we worked with the industry with the uh, with the track council last year to provide you know kids under twelve free for the truck and Xfinity races, discount tickets at the cup level, because we need to get the families to come back together. And um, and we actually you know developed some interesting marketing programs. We talked to you about uh, the STEM program. We're in Scholastic in the schools. You know physics at two hundred miles an hour. These are all enablers to try to connect that that you just don't wait till you're growing up and go to the racetrack. The key thing with NASCAR, uh, you know, the 80 million fans we have on an annual basis, uh, it's the core p- folks, the two and a half million that come to the racetrack. Because if you come to the race, it's just not to attend and you have a great experience and you have the engagement, that 360 engagement. We know when you watch broadcast, you'll look at it differently the next time. You'll see some of the things, and they do a great job, but you'll just see the sport differently. You'll hear the calls by the Sirius XM guys deeper, much better if you've been to, the, to that race. And, and that's kind of the approach we look at it. Uh, I still remember my first race. I was a NASCAR fan growing up in Canada. I was working for an auto company, and I got the assignment to go to Bristol, Tennessee, and it was 1988. And I, Jeff, I was already a fan. I was a grown-up. I was working in the industry, but I was a young marketing executive. And I still remember the hauler with, it had to be three, 400 people staying out uh, Dale Earnhardt's trailer on a Saturday or Friday. It was Friday in Bristol. It was like, I could, I just, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. And that next day, the race, and I think uh, Kowicki won the pole and, and Earnhardt came first. And I think he beat Elliott in a really close race. But I mean, I, you know, I've seen thousands of races, but that race to this day, even though it was my very first, and Bristol was very different. It's still the shape of Bristol, the core, the Coliseum concept was alive and well. I took my wife and daughter last weekend and they had never been to Bristol. They've been to lots of races and they had that same experience that I had. You could just see their eyes light up uh, August race under the lights in Bristol. It's, it's remarkable. So what else do you follow on Twitter that uh, are your interests outside the sport? I mean, I, I've seen some of your tweets. You're obviously your hockey fan. Do you follow any hockey stuff on Twitter? Do you follow any entertainment stuff that you enjoy or is it mostly um, focused on your work? Um, I do. I do follow. I get my news. So, so like like a lot of folks. So, I'm every news broadcast. I'm I'm, I'm hooked on with with them. You know, NBC and Fox and ABC and the, the whole gang. I also uh, most people don't realize I'm a huge environmentalist and always have been growing up on the West Coast. Uh, uh, had an influence at a very young age. So, uh, I'm very much following you know what's happening in the world and those things. Uh, you know, we race outdoors, uh, so we understand climate change. Uh, you know, the NASCAR green program isn't a slogan. Uh, we really do care about all those aspects. And so I'll, I'll get those kind of bits of information uh, as well. And then I do, we're in the entertainment business. So we'll cross link. You know, we've been, you know, I have the pleasure in this job of meeting some interesting people, both from industry and the entertainment. And so many of them you get to know and you kind of follow them and see what their information um Having an 11-year-old daughter, I do follow a lot of the people that she likes in terms of music. And we went to a Ed Sheeran concert in Orlando last week, which is, if, if you've never seen Ed Sheeran in concert, he's remarkable. One-man show, incredibly talented. So, yeah, you'll get all those different aspects and uh, try to make sure that you can get really insular in your sport. And you have to make sure you don't get insular and understand what's happening around you. Finally, this is a little bit of a tough question to answer because nobody really knows. But where do you see social media going next? I mean, obviously, um, there's Twitter that's well-established. You have Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat has been huge with uh, younger people. 
Where do you see this all evolving and, and going as things continue to change? So I think it's about fragmentation. You know, so when we talked about when, you know, the beauty of the good old days back in the day, you could make your communication, you know, when John Kennedy was elected at the time and used the mass media networks to tell his message it was remarkable. And over time, uh, TV has become more fragmented. So that's a challenge. But it's also a positive because it can be more vertical. You can have a food channel and a sports channel, those kind of things. So, so with that fragmentation comes opportunities to be much more targeted to the audiences. And I think social media, is, it's not what some people think it is. It's truly just media of today's generation. And, it, and it's, not, it's, not media, it's not a medium for the young as well. I mean, it's all generations. If you look at, the, at Twitter, I mean, um, it's got a very... Uh, you know, balanced target. But if you look at Facebook, I mean, it balances the U.S. population. So I think what you'll see is you'll see more fragmentation, which will be challenging because you have to follow what's new and hot. But you're also going to see it come back to much generalizing as well. So it'll be a place for both. And I think what you'll see the it's it's uh, it's the old Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. And if you can if you can approach it that way, you want to stay relevant as it adapts, but you also want to recognize the platform for what it can deliver. And if if you don't mix those two pieces. I think I think there's a place and social media will continue to evolve. It's not a fad. It's really truly a medium uh, for today's generation of technologists and, and people around the world. I mean, I can communicate through WhatsApp with my family in, in Brazil. It's amazing. Technology. We can instantly communicate. They're following the race today from Darlington um, and they'll be, you know, messaging through WhatsApp is their medium to communicate with me uh, at the track today. So. I, I see great future for all social media, and I think we just have to, you know, utilize it as a tool to be able to express and to receive information and to be able to contribute. Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on a race day. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Look forward to our next chat. All right, everybody. So there you have it. Really uh, was pleased with that interview. It's one of those ones where I felt like, man, I would love to just sit and pick this guy's brain for 20 minutes about social media and the social spotlight just happened to be an excuse to do that. So really pumped to get that opportunity. And I'm also going to give a blind plug here to um, Nate Ryan's podcast with Brent Dewar, which I have not heard yet. It's not out yet, but I believe next week it's coming out. And I believe Nate got to go even more in depth with Brent. So I'm looking forward to hearing that because as I've gotten to know a little bit more about Brent here, uh, I find him to be a very interesting individual, and I'm personally curious to hear more about what he has to say. Anyway, it's off to Richmond Raceway for the regular season finale, and I'll give you a little preview of what I'm hoping to try to pull off on Saturday night. So typically for the post-race podcast, I grab another media member and we talk about the race for 20 minutes or 30 minutes afterwards. Well, at Richmond, they make all 16 playoff drivers available on pit road, and they're kind of standing around waiting a little bit until their photo opportunity. Now, I don't know if the formats change this year, but if it's similar to past years, what I'm planning on trying to do is do the post-race podcast on pit road with the unsuspecting drivers. So perhaps walk up to drivers and say, hello, you are on the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast post-race edition let's talk about the race kind of thing. So I don't know if I'll be able to do that. If there's other media around, it's not going to work. But if I can get a couple drivers by themselves for one or two questions at a time, I might be able to cobble together a post-race podcast and it could be a lot of fun. It could also be a total disaster. I'm not sure, but 
check that out Saturday night. I will do that first before I write anything off the race. And I will try to post that ASAP before everyone uh, goes off to bed after they've shut the race off. So thanks again for listening. And I will talk to you all from Richmond.